I want to continue speaking about knowing God. We've been doing this for a few weeks. I actually meant for this to be one week. It was just one week I wanted to share my heart, and it's turned into a three-week series. It hasn't been as much of a teaching as I often do. It's just something that God has put in my heart. And friends, I just want to say to you, the reason that I'm sharing this and speaking about it like this is just God, I see God at work. I see God doing things, and uh, I see Him doing things in the hearts of men and women, you know, and it's just wonderful to see. So it's just talking into it. It's just saying, you know, this, just to help us understand. And the more I've become just aware of the Lord, I've become more and more aware of how much we don't know. You know, we, we become what I call God experts, where we start to, you know, we've seen things before, and we say, God does this, and then he does this, and then we start to pray, God do this, and God do this, as if we're God, and, and he's, I understand the language, but I've just become more and more aware of, you know, he never changes. He's the God of forever, and, and we become so quickly familiar with God, and when he starts to move, and he starts to do something, it, it's just, we are reminded, we are not him. We are not him. You know, that's why I genuinely believe that the song Holy is what they sing so much in heaven because you become, when you come face to face with your creator, you become aware. Between you and me, there's a big difference. You are set there. I am set here. Even with all his, what he's done for us. And I feel God bringing back to his church that truth. Just that truth of I am God, you know. So, knowing God, again, I'll say it again, there's, there's no expert on this subject. The Holy Spirit would be the expert. The Bible says he knows the deep things of God. So, it's just something from my heart. We can know Christ more through the Scripture than if he stood in front of you. And some people may find that offensive, especially if you love encounters. Because when you encounter Christ, there's, it's something of his nature that is revealed to you. It's overwhelming. It's incredibly powerful. But it's not all of him. And he's given us this. This is him. And so I really believe you can know him more through here than if he stood in front of you. But it's the personal touch of God that turns the heart of man, birthing in it the greatest of human desire to know him. And only God can do that. No intellectual conversation can do that. I cannot convince you of that. My dad has always said for years, you cannot convince someone into the kingdom because then someone will convince them out of it. It's not something that a person can do for another. But we can host a person who does it through us. Psalm 84 says this. I'll give you a quick context. And we had any, who was here for the Canaanite last night? That was awesome. Wasn't that great? It's just amazing. We worshiped. We had people dancing in here. We really did. It was Shamefully wonderful. It was wonderful. It really was wonderful. Even Dwayne danced. Imagine that. Even Dwayne. Yeah. Awesome. It was, he danced better than me. It was amazing. Just quickly here, a renewed hunger for God is, is something that I see God doing. It's just he's putting a hunger. And friends, it's not just people that believe like you believe. It's across. I'm, I'm seeing it all through our county, all in different places. People that have known it for years, been in church for years. There's something. God, they saying, God, there's more. There's like a renewed hunger for God, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing to see. And um, Psalm 84 was written, I think it was by the sons of Korah, yeah, sons of Korah. And what it was is that they were not there by the temple. And so they wrote, you know, something that they were longing for because they had experienced being in the temple of God and being in His manifest presence. And, and, and they'd experienced that. They'd worshipped there. 
And now they weren't there. And so they write, it's the longing of their heart. And they write this. How lovely is your tabernacle, which is his presence. Some translations say dwelling place. O Lord of hosts, my soul longs. Yes, faints. That word faints means to be at the end. I'm at the end of myself with a desire. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. That's the temple. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And it's like that renewed hunger. And I see him doing it again and again in our day. And in verse 4 it says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. They were thinking back to the, the priests who actually lived there. And they were going, God, they're still there. How we want to be there. They're still there. They're still praising you. It's beautiful. The, the truth is, the great truth, is that we don't need to go to the temple in Jerusalem anymore. They had to do that. That's why they say, blessed are those who set their heart on pilgrimage. They're saying, blessed are those who will pay anything to get back to that place of his presence. That's what Psalm 84 is about. But we don't need to go to the temple anymore. And when God begins to move in your heart, and I've been speaking about this, everything he gives you, everything, whether it's gifts, your career, anything, starts to pale in comparison to the desire for relationship with him. It really does. And only he can do that in your heart. And then spiritual worship is birthed. Real spiritual worship is birthed in a person's heart. And Mark 7, we read it last week, it says that a person's heart is not fully his. It's like the worship becomes in vain. It becomes lip service. And the word of God becomes numb to us. We become familiar. It doesn't impact us anymore. And so God comes to stir the heart which changes the worship, which changes his voice in our hearts and in our lives. We need it. We need it desperately. Revelations 3, just the context. You know when Jesus speaks to the seven churches, yeah? And the last church he speaks is to the Laodiceans. And he says, you are neither hot nor cold. You all know the scripture. I'm going to spit you out. You know, don't be lukewarm. And if you look around at how many people are kind of just doing church, you know, it's this, it's, they're just going through the motions. And it's like that church of the Laodiceans. And God, I believe, is invading to say, I've come to change that. I've come to take hold of my people and show them who I am again. And it's an invasion of God. It's, it's a beautiful thing, and I can feel it coming, and I know it's just started. But he says this. He, he closes all the seven churches with this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him to dine with him, and he with me. Friends, he's speaking to believers. That is not about salvation. He's speaking to those who are saved, standing at the door of the church. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. And then he says what? He's not going to come in and destroy. He's going to come in and have fellowship because it's relationship because he wants to know you. And Jesus says we've been invited because of what Jesus has done into the fellowship that he even has with his Father. He's saying, come and have that fellowship with me. To know God, to really know him. So at the center of every powerful move of God is not the miracles, although they're wonderful and though we believe them and we've seen them. We had a couple of healings the last few weeks as well. But it's a deep, piercing and powerful pull on people's hearts. And the Bible calls that conviction. Conviction. And so I want to speak to you today about conviction. Because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit which turns people inside out. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, there will not be a renewed hunger for God.
You, you cannot stir that up yourself. Without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we actually cannot even know God. Cannot. Hmm. So if you have a Bible, could you hold it up in the sky, in the air, please? If you have a physical Bible. Hmm. They're getting more and more. Great. Buy a Bible. Buy a real Bible. Real Bible. You know why? I keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it. Because when you're online, it's great. Blueletterbible.com, great resource. I love it. But when you're online, you find exactly what you're looking for. It's like going to Amazon store versus going to the actual store. When you go to the actual store, you discover treasures you weren't looking for. Same as the Bible. Read the Bible. It's very good, you know. It's very good. So, John 16. I'm in Luke. Very unhelpful. See, that doesn't happen online. I could have discovered treasure, you see. It's true. John 16, if you can go there. And this scripture, it's like the Lord has written it in my very bones. I, I just don't understand that, but that's what it feels like. John 16, 5 says this. But now I go away to him, Jesus speaking. I go, he's just had dinner. He's now explaining the, it's the, what we call the farewell discourse. He's telling his disciples, I'm leaving. And he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. He says, now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Crazy statement. It shows us who the Holy Spirit is in Jesus' mind. For if I do not go away, the helper, I love the, the Passion Translation, says the divine encourager. The helper will not come. The Passion says the divine encourager cannot be released. Because the word there in the, in the Greek is like he's, you know, I want to get out. I want to go. I want to go. And you have to release and he comes. They call him the hound of heaven, some preachers. For if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And that text is all I want to speak to you about today. Conviction. The power of conviction. What is conviction? A few thoughts, real quick. The world here, he will convict the world. That's, yes, it's unbelievers, but it's more than that. It's because the context was it's going beyond the Jewish world at that time. So he's saying the whole world. They're saying, how? How can we explain this to people who are not Jews? We cannot give them the entire history. They don't know Mo who's Moses, who's Abraham, I don't know. You know they, they were doing that with people, Greek mythologists, and God would come into their heart and turn their heart and say, I don't know that history, but there's a God, and now he's in me. And Jesus is saying only the Holy Spirit can do that. Whether they have your history or not, it's now going into all the world. And so it's speaking about unbelievers, yes, but also believers. Because he comes again and turns the heart. Amen? And the other question that some people have is, does the Holy Spirit need you to do this? Does he need you to do this? No. Not at all. But the context is this. It says, I will send him to you. I will send him to you. And later on he actually says this. When he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not tell you the truth. He will guide you into it. So you change. I will guide you into the very thing that sets you free. And then you change. And then through you, conviction can come. Although you can't do that. Although he doesn't need you. 
but it says, I'm going to send him to you. And that's you, friends. Put your hand up if you're a you. That's, that's you. If you didn't put your hand up, we have people for you after. <laughs> he will convict. How can we understand this? got two definitions of conviction. One's mine, one's someone else's. The Holy Spirit, what is conviction? The Holy Spirit would demonstrate, manifest the truth of Christ in a person's heart. The truth of Christ beyond the fear of contradiction. It's like, what if it's not? And what? All of that goes. And you know. Beyond the fear of contradiction, conviction has convinced them. And the truth of Christ explodes within a person's heart. That's conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit reaches into the deepest parts of the heart of man. It moves further than all the reasonings of the mind. It passes all our excuses. It removes the desire to preserve our worldly affections. God, you can have my life except for this part. It removes that. And it pierces the center of the person. It goes right through. It's like a sword. You've been run through. That's conviction, friends. And the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit can awaken an unbeliever unto life. It's a, sometimes a terrifying experience, which we'll get into. The Holy Spirit, if you're saved, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and His Spirit goes past everything else into your spirit and shakes you and reminds you of who God is. That's conviction. It empowers the Spirit within you. One of the most instant evidences that I've seen when I've seen this happen, and I'm seeing it happen again, is the preservation of self. Self-image, self-awareness departs. You suddenly don't care about that as much. And you just want him. Who knows what I'm talking about? It just goes, that is, doesn't seem to be my top value anymore. Only God can do that. No preacher. God can do that. I'll tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a few stories today. Three, in fact. I'm going to read this to you. It should come up behind me. Charles Finney. It was a strange scene that morning in the cotton factory near Whitesboro, New York. The looms and, and spinning mules had gone silent, but new sounds never before heard here had replaced them. Groans and cries from workers, many prostrate on the ground, filled the expansive building. Charles Finney had been touring the facility after preaching in the village schoolhouse the night before. It was early in the workday, and the laborer was humming along as usual. It would be strange for one visiting individual to attract much notice, but much less cause the bustling enterprise to grind to a screeching halt. But that is exactly what happened. As Finney simply observed the machinery, one worker and then another sank to the floor and burst into tears. The impression, this is Finney speaking, caught almost like powder. He's talking about gunpowder. Like, whew, like that, said Finney in his autobiography. And in a few moments, nearly all in the room were in tears. The factory's owner, who was not a believer, was himself taken by what was happening. Stop the mill, he instructed the superintendent, and let the people attend to religion, for it is more important that our souls should be saved than having this factory run. Friends, he said nothing. He did not preach. He said not a word. He was just looking at machinery, and the conviction of God invaded a business, invaded a workplace where hundreds, I think there were like 400 there, hundreds 
fell down, started to, because there's a, an expansive version, started to confess their sins, started to cry out, started to be on the floor. Hundreds. He didn't say one word. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we need it again. We need it again. There is no other answer for our city. There is no other answer. It's that. God, do that. What does it say? It says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 9 says, of sin because they do not believe in me. What does that mean? We're going to go through each one. First, it's not sins or sinning, but sin, the inherent nature of sin. It's not what you've done. It's the nature of sin. And a deep conviction comes upon a person's heart. And it's like the Holy Spirit presses into you, deep in your heart, and you become aware. You are not okay the way you are. You become profoundly aware of that. I am not okay. I was born in, I, I was not, I'm not okay. I'm not right with God. The Bible says you carry within your members the sentence of death. And you become aware of that. You become aware of that. It's a, it's, it's a strange thing. You cannot make a person do that, but you become profoundly aware. I'm not okay. And you're aware, I am in need of a great rescue. That's what happens. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It turns the heart. No clever words can do that. None. They begin to repent. People don't like the word sin in church anymore. But friends, they begin to repent. I've heard it. When God turns the heart... And they cry out, Lord, I'm a sinner. It's not legalism. It's not this condemnation. The conviction of God empowers change and freedom and liberty. And they, they just cry out, God, help me. Help me. It's desire to be right with God. It's like it fills you. And all of a sudden, they have an awareness of Jesus Christ that they've never had before. That's conviction, friend. The Holy Spirit comes and He does that. He makes the cross. And what happened on the cross suddenly manifests to you. And it's like now God has just become real. He's just become real. Something inside says to you, I know Jesus. I need Him. But I know He loves me. It's this, it's, sometimes it's a terror that comes upon a person. Who's ever seen that? Terror. I've seen it in Africa. Because they become aware of God. They become aware of Him. And they see themselves in the true light. Just like Peter. Depart from me, Lord. Get away from me. Just like Isaiah. I'm unclean. He saw God. Something changes. Something changes. Acts 2.37, this is what happened. It says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Greek says their hearts were pricked. And the King James says that. And said to Peter, well, you know, what should we do? The word prick there means to pierce, to pain the mind sharply and to agitate it vehemently. Why? Because they've come, the conviction of God has convinced them of their state. And they know, and yet their mind could not bring them to that place. And so it affects the mind. How can I know something? But my mind couldn't get me there. That's the Spirit of God. To know the love that surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 3. That's conviction. It's conviction. Smith Wigglesworth, I'm going to read you two more stories. The stories are great. I encourage you. Go home, find these, read them. 
Smith Wigglesworth said this, I don't want to boast. If I glory in anything, it's only in the Lord who has been so gracious to me. But I remember one time stepping out of a railroad carriage to wash my hands. I had a season of prayer and the Lord just filled me to overflowing with his love. I was going to a convention in Ireland and I could not get there fast enough. As I returned, I believe the Spirit of the Lord was so heavily upon me that my face must have shone. There were two clerical men, I think low clerics, clerical men sitting together in the place where he was before. And as I got into the carriage, one of them cried out, You convinced me of sin. He didn't say a word. That's not normal. For to them to cry out in front of everyone else, You convinced me of sin, sir. Within three minutes, everyone in the carriage was crying to God for salvation. This thing has happened many times in my life. It is this ministration of the Spirit that Paul speaks of. This filling of the Spirit that will make your life effective. So that even the people in stores where you trade will want to leave your presence because they have been brought under conviction. Friends, I've had that once or twice in my life. Where a person does not want to be around you because of what's coming out of you. I'm not him. <laughs> but I tell you, it happens. I'll read you one more. On another occasion, Wigglesworth boarded a train to Bradford to travel to London. He selected a corner seat. Eventually, five people joined him in the compartment. As was his custom, he took out his Bible and began to pray and read silently. He never spoke a word to his fellow travelers. About 30 miles away from London, he went to the restroom. It's like something must have happened in those restrooms. It's, I don't know what he was... And as he was making his way back to the compartment, the man who had been sitting next to him said, Sir, he, he met the man on the way back, if you read the expanded. Sir, I don't know what it was, but when I sat next to you, a terrible fear gripped me. I was afraid I was going to die. What was it? Wigglesworth said, come back into the compartment. All the others said they had experienced the same feeling. Wigglesworth explained to them about conviction. And the way of salvation. And they knelt on the floor of the compartment and accepted the Lord. Friends, we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit back in the church. Back in our lives. Back through our lives. Because only He can turn the heart. Only He can do that. Preaching, God can use it, but it still has to be the Holy Spirit. He didn't say one word. Why else? He says, when he comes, he will convict the world of righteousness because I go to the Father. It's an awareness that comes upon a person. And this I've seen people, I've seen a terror. And people don't like the word fear of God. Well, they should because it's biblical. But the fear of God, it's not to make you afraid. And I've experienced this. Where the fear of God comes upon you and you become aware of his power, of his might. Of how beyond us he is. And you become aware of his demand for righteousness. Why does he demand it? Because he wants to have fellowship with you and he will not change. Because him changing, everything dies. And there's a demand for his righteousness. And you feel that in your heart. The conviction of God comes upon you. And you realize, my righteousness will not do. My righteousness will not suffice. No matter how good I am, it will never be enough. And then the love of God. 
I tell you, friends, the love of God fills your heart when someone tells you or you realize that through Christ, He gives His own righteousness to you. He puts it on you like a cloak, like a robe. That truth, that truth changes you from the inside out. That it's not because of you, it's because of what someone else did on your behalf. And it puts it on you. It's a conviction of righteousness. That's why he says, because I go to the Father. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness because I go to the Father. Going to the Father means what? means the payment was accepted. Accepted. I've done. When God emptied the grave, it was payment done. Payment accepted. And that becomes, you become aware of that. That your new identity, now you wear a robe and it's called righteousness. It's actually your identity. They used to identify people in the Old Testament from their garments. Warriors garments, priestly garments, worshipping garments, whatever. They used to look at them like Joseph. They used to look and say, oh, he's a that, he's a that. You wear a robe of righteousness. And if you approach God in any other way, it will not do. And you become convicted. You become aware of that. And when that love starts to fill your heart, it changes you from the inside out. It begins to turn your heart. The things that you've tried to do from discipline, or you've tried to do because you were told to do it, or you ever tried, love fills your heart. And now you're empowered, and you desire those things. Things start to take place that you could never do. It's the Spirit of God in your heart telling you, righteous. But, friend, there are still people, proud, think, well, it's my good works. It will never be enough. It it will never come close. You were born with imputed sin. You know, sin just means Mr. Mark. That's what it means. You were born with imputed sin, already dead, death sentence, already dead in your sin. You now have imputed righteousness and you've become alive to life. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might now become righteousness. This truth changed my life. I studied it for four years. Because I couldn't believe it was so good. There's, There's much more than just this. It changes you. It puts a love in your heart that compels you, that moves you, that calls to you, that it just changes you. And you realize grace. Grace means unmerited favor. The favor that you have with God is because of nothing that you've done. You start at the end of the race, a winner. You just do. Because of God. Friends, to be in his family, he's so beyond us. Anyone who passes as a Christian, anyone who dies, no matter how you die, and sometimes people get concerned and why did this happen? No matter how you die, you die in Christ, you pass over in Christ, you win. Because every believer who dies reminds the devil that the grave cannot hold them. You win because of this. No matter how you die, you win. We get all caught up with, well, this should have happened and that. You win because of someone else. It's the conviction of righteousness. It really is. Righteousness, when you see it, when you really see it, friends, it offers relationship as its prize. 
That's the prize. Is you get to have fellowship, deep communion, fellowship with Almighty God. You get to have that. That's what the prize is. Because the Bible defines Jesus, defined eternal life as knowing God. In the here and now, in this present evil age, the Bible says that you are called to be free here in this age. But yet man, and I'm just going to explain this quickly, I won't go through it too long. Man continues, other, you know, unsaved, they continue. I, I understand their minds are darkened, they're, they're not spiritually discerned, but they continue to try, they persist that, they, that God doesn't exist or that they don't need God. Friends, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will change them. But why does man persist like that? What is it in him that persists? The very core, the very center of the nature that you were born with, the sin nature, the very core of it is this exact thing. People don't realize. The first thing they did, and you, what's the first thing they did when the fall of man happened? The first thing, people say they hid. No, what's the first thing they did? They realized... Both of them were open, the eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings. The first thing that is birthed is human effort, works they had never done. They had already co-labored with God before, and it was beautiful. It was, you know, Adam, I'm going to co-labor with you. I'm going to take a part of you. I'm going to make Eve. And then, Adam, I'm going to bring you animals, and you get to speak identity over my creation. Co-laboring with God. Beautiful, full of authority, full of love. Now the fall comes. The first thing they do is, God, I'll fix this myself. I'll repair what I've done. That's the very center. Because the nature that the fall, when our nature was corrupted that you're born with, the center of it is self. Self. That's why there was two trees in the garden. And I don't have time to get into that. The tree of life speaks of the righteousness of Jesus Christ the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it actually means full knowledge from good to evil, speaks of self-righteousness, meaning righteousness by you, from yourself. And it's the first thing is, God, I can fix it. I can, I can do it. No, you cannot. You really cannot. But it takes the conviction of God, the conviction of the Holy Spirit to birth is, is not through human effort. You cannot be good enough. You cannot. I, I hear the speakers on TV. I hear, uh, I don't want to bring up names, these people that have talk shows and, you know, if you just live a good life. No, no, no. No. It will not do. It just won't. But when God starts to turn in your heart, then you actually live that same life, but it's all different. The stuff that you do, you know, I don't, I have a charity and I have this and all this and that. It doesn't matter. Unless God is in your heart. That just. Friends, this was so apparent to early believers. More than it is to us. Why? Because they knew, they, they had a sacrificial system and they stopped. They just stopped doing it. Knowing what? Jesus is enough. Their entire existence shifted because they were convinced that his righteousness was theirs. Jesus is enough. We've never experienced that where every day there's killing animals and it's called the blood, uh, the covenant of blood. It's just, 
bloody every day. And they just stopped. I think that had an impact. Imagine Paul going to the temple, watching them. Peter, watching them sacrifice at the temple. His heart to say, guys, you don't need to do that anymore. Last one. Judgment. He comes to convict the world. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. You cannot make a person believe, but he can. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father. Payment settled. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The prince of this world, the King James says, I think it, the prince of this world has been judged. He does exist. But he's not competition for God. I, I tell you, people have this concept, God and the devil. No. God. That's it. That really is it. He's the opposite of Michael or Gabriel. He's not the opposite of God. The Bible says when we get to heaven, we're going to look at him and literally says this. Is that? Is this the, that what caused all that trouble? That's what it says. Friends, he operates through deception. Do not let him push you around. I'm encouraging you. He is a defeated enemy. I heard someone say defeated, and they's like, no feet. That was just funny. But he is a, de he is a defeated enemy, friends. He is, it's, it's, he is judged. That's past tense. Past tense. You know, spiritual maturity. I don't really have the time to get into this, but spiritual maturity is essentially to be spiritual. The Bible says, I cannot speak to you as carnal, but as babes. And then he talks about, but you should be spiritual. To understand the unseen realm and to live your life based on your decisions. That's what spiritual maturity is. And the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and every imagination or, or a thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What God, it's our knowledge of God, but it also means in the Greek what God knows to be true, his knowledge. And the imaginations, word, the word there, the imaginations, you know what it is? Logismos. It means logic. It's where we get our word logic from. And it means decisions or judgments that a person makes from computation and reasoning. That's what it means. And so the enemy will take maybe an analytical thought that is from us, but he demonically empowers it. And that little thought goes from a two to like a nine. Who knows what I'm talking about? It overwhelms you. And so you have the knowledge of God. And then you have what the enemy says. And why does it say he exalts the imaginations? He lifts them up and exalts them in competition with what God knows to be true. About him and about you. And he lifts it up. But we know that the devil is no competition for God. What gives this thing power? Your yes. Your oh yes. That gives it power. It's no competition. That's what he does. He exalts it. The Holy Spirit will convict of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. It also means this, and some people don't like this, but it's the fact that there is no neutrality. There just is not. There just is not. We don't fight flesh and blood. We don't fight the people not in the kingdom. We live and die for them. 
and we love them. But there is no neutrality. Jesus said, you either, if you do not gather with me, you scatter. <laughs> there just is not, there's none neutrality. You are either of him or you are not. You either have his righteousness or you don't. That's what he's saying. Only the Holy Spirit can convict and move a person's heart to understand that. To understand it. You cannot but fear, cause so much fear that they come into the kingdom. It just doesn't work. I've seen it tried. <laughs> but God can get on that message. The Holy Spirit can move on that message. You know, if you died today, yes, if they're anointed like Billy Graham can do that. And not that you cannot, but if God leads you to do that, but you cannot cause fear to bring people in. It's love of God. It's the conviction of God. And when that causes fear, terror, you realize, I need him. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. Save me. Help me. That is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict of sin. To birth belief in Christ. To understand that we are in need of great rescue, friends. The Holy Spirit will convict of righteousness to let you know that only His righteousness will do and that Jesus is enough. The Holy Spirit will convict of judgment because Jesus is coming back. Friends, one day the sky will roll back like a scroll and the books will be opened. That's going to happen. That's, that's set. It's set. We need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to fall on our nation, to fall in our city. Can I say to fall in your heart, to fall in my heart? Can we ask him? Can we ask him? Can we stand? <laughs>